What is up, everybody? It is JT Sports. I'm back to you guys with another video. This video, I'm here with my NFL wildcard picks predictions. Going to give you guys my predictions for the upcoming NFL wildcard matchup set to take place this weekend. Now, this is going to be different from all of the other NFL wildcard predictions that a lot of you guys have watched. I'm going to be going through every single game breaking it down so this is going to be a pretty long video if you're coming here looking for a quick 10 5 minute video you might as well quick off because this video is going to be pretty lengthy i'm going to be going matchup by matchup breaking down the matchups what every single team has to do to win the game and giving my analysis on the game so this video is probably going to be very long so go to the kitchen grab you a bite to eat come back and enjoy the video so before I get into it, make sure that you guys hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. Upload NFL videos and college football videos daily. Also, make sure that if you haven't already, that you guys go ahead and follow me on my social media platforms. My Instagram and my Twitter is both JTSports underscore. Also, you can check out this video on podcasts and platforms. For those of you guys who like to listen to podcasts, this video is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, podcast spotify podcast wherever you get your podcast from this video is available on so here we go the first matchup that we have to talk about we have to talk about the 11 and 5 indianapolis coach traveling on the road to take on the 13 and 3 buffalo bills now the buffalo bills are heading into this game as a six and a half point favorite this game is going to be taking place Saturday with the 1.05 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. The Indianapolis Colts are coming off a victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars last week, which they beat them 28-14. Meanwhile, the Buffalo Bills destroyed the Miami Dolphins 56-26, ending their hopes of making it into the playoffs. Now, these are two of the hottest teams in the AFC right now. The Indianapolis Colts have won five out of their last six games, and the Buffalo Bills have won six games in a row. For Indianapolis, rookie halfback Jonathan Taylor has been running wild over the last couple of weeks for Indianapolis. As a matter of fact, in their victory against Jacksonville Jaguars last week on week 17, he set a franchise rushing record with 253 rushing yards, two touchdowns, which was averaging 8.4 yards per carry. He also had two touchdowns, 74 rushing yards, averaging 4.1 yards per attempt, and the Indianapolis Colts lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. On the season, he has 1,169 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns on 232 carries. So Jonathan Taylor has gotten really hot over the month of December. And for Indianapolis to win this game, they're going to have to be able to establish the run game because when you look at Phillip Rivers... Phillip Rivers has played pretty good this year, but I don't know how much I trust Phillip Rivers in this kind of atmosphere with the game on the line because we saw what happened last time the Indianapolis Colts asked Phillip Rivers to win the game for them against Pittsburgh. He turned the ball over. So if you're Indianapolis, one of the biggest weaknesses that Buffalo has on the defense side of the football is the fact that they're not that great against the run. As a matter of fact, they are 17th in the NFL in run defense and they are allowing 4.6 yards per carry, which is 26 in the NFL. So if you're Indianapolis, you get Jonathan Taylor, you get this run game going. Not only is that going to help out your defense because you have one of the best defenses in the NFL, but that's also going to keep Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills offense off the field. And if you can keep Josh Allen and Buffalo off the field, then you're going to increase your chances of winning the game. Now for Indianapolis... 
their offensive struggles come on third down and in the red zone. They are 26, well, 22nd in the NFL in third down converts percentage. They convert on third down 39.59% of the time, which is 22nd in the NFL. They also are pretty average in the red zone. They only score touchdowns in the red zone 58% of the time, which is 17th in the league. So for Indianapolis, my biggest concern is going to be once you get down this side to 20, are you going to be able to score touchdowns or are you going to have to end up settling for field goals? Because in playoff caliber football games like this, you have to be able to score touchdowns. Touchdowns and field goals are the major differences in determining who ends up advancing in the playoffs and who ends up going home. For Indianapolis, you're really good at running the football. But once you get down inside the 20, if the run game's not there, do you trust Phillip Rivers to throw the football to score a touchdown? Or do you risk throwing an interception? Because with Phillip Rivers, it's just once you get inside the red zone, his decision-making really comes to be a factor because Phillip Rivers is a pretty aggressive quarterback at times, and sometimes he tends to force the issue more times than not. So if Indianapolis gets inside the red zone and they're not able to have success running the football, then that could cause a lot of issues. They could have some turnovers, or they could end up walking away with field goals, and that's going to be really big in this wild-card matchup against the Buffalo Bills, who do have one of the best offenses in the NFL. Now, my biggest matchup that I'm going to be watching, I'm going to be watching this Buffalo Bills offense led by quarterback Josh Allen, a.k.a. Air Allen, which is what the Buffalo Bills mafia are calling him, because the Buffalo Bills pretty much have an air raid kind of attack on offense. They don't really put that much emphasis on running the football. As a matter of fact, they're pretty much in the middle of the pack in the NFL when it comes to rushing yards per game. So don't expect... Buffalo to run for like 200, 150 yards on Indianapolis because that's not the kind of team that Buffalo is. Buffalo is a team that trusts their quarterback and Josh Allen, who has played like an MVP candidate this season. 4,544 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, completing 69.2% of his passes. If the NFL had the most improved player of the year award, like the NBA, it without a question would go to Josh Allen. Josh Allen has had an outstanding season this year for Buffalo. And you also have Stephon Diggs, who has played like a first-team All-Pro this year, 127 receptions, 1,535 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns. Now, this Buffalo Bills offense, they're going to be matched up against one of the best defenses in the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts. As a matter of fact, their defensive coordinator is slated to be interviewed for a couple of upcoming head coaching gigs. So this Buffalo Bills offense, which is second in the NFL in points per game, averaging over 30 points per game against the Indianapolis Colts defense, that's 10th in the NFL in points per game allowed with 22.6. I'm really interested in seeing this chess match. Because this is going to be really interesting. You look at Indianapolis defense, who has looked pretty good all year. They also have made big plays when they matter the most. Remember that Green Bay Packers game a couple of weeks ago that Indianapolis surprised a lot of people ended up pulling off the upset? Well, their defense came up big, forcing a turnover to win the game. So for Indianapolis, your defense most definitely is going to have to show up and have an outstanding game against the best offense, in my opinion, in the NFL this year. Now, Indianapolis... When you look at them and what they are able to do defensively, they can get pressure on the quarterback. You got DeForest Buckner there. You have a pretty solid group of corners. Your secondary is pretty good. You got Darius Leonard, one of the more underrated linebackers in the NFL, going against a really great offense with Buffalo. 
It's going to be re really interesting to watch. Are they going to be able to keep Josh Allen inside the pocket? Because Josh Allen can beat you inside the pocket, outside the pocket. Doesn't really matter. I'm really interested in seeing what the strategy is going to be for the Indianapolis Colts on defense in terms of trying to slow down Josh Allen and his Buffalo Bills offense. Now, the concerns that I have in this game for both these two teams is going to be, can Indianapolis rely on Phillip Rivers to come through for the Indianapolis Colts with the game on the line? When the game is on the line, sometimes, like I mentioned earlier, Phillip Rivers kind of forces the issue. His decision-making is kind of erratic. It's kind of emotional. He had a couple of costly turnovers against the Pittsburgh Steelers in their loss a couple of weeks ago. And in my opinion, if the Colts can't get the running game going and you have to rely on Phillip Rivers to win the game for you, I don't think that votes all that well for the Indianapolis Colts. Now for the Buffalo Bills, can you stop the run? You're in the middle of the pack and run defense a lot. You're like 17th in the NFL in rush yards per game allowed. So if you can't stop this run game and you allow Indianapolis to just milk the clock, and on top of that, if Indianapolis defense plays up to the level that they've been playing all season and they're able to slow down your offense, you could find yourself in a really tough situation where you may be down a couple of scores and it may be hard to come back if you can't stop the run game of Indianapolis. That's what Indianapolis wants to do. They want to running pound you all single game and if Phillip Rivers has to throw the ball more than 30 times I don't really have a lot of confidence in Indianapolis ability to pull off the victory another big concern if you are a Colts fan is going to be is your offensive line going to be able to hold up the Colts are beat up on the offensive line how are they going to be able to manage against Buffalo's defensive line which is decent now, Indianapolis, they have missed a couple of their key players who pretty much may not be able to play in this game. So you're missing a couple of your best off the linemen. How's that going to vote well for how well you're able to run the football? How's that going to vote for pass protections? It, there are a lot of interesting factors in determining how Indianapolis is going to perform in this game. Now, Buffalo is a six and a half point favorite. I thought that Buffalo probably would be an eight and a half point favorite, but I think that this game could go either way because the Colts, aside from the loss of the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have looked really good this season. I really like Indianapolis. I think Indianapolis is a really solid team, but Buffalo right now looks to be the team to beat aside from the Kansas City Chiefs right now in the AFC. As a matter of fact, if somebody was to ask you what team do you think right now has the best chance to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, it probably would be the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills secondary has played really good. And when you look at Buffalo secondary, these wide receivers for Indianapolis have can't have kind of came on as of late. Ricky Michael Pittman has been pretty good. T.Y. Hilton over the last three weeks has kind of arose a from the slumber that he's been in in for pretty much the whole entire season so this game is going to be really fun to watch i'm looking forward to this game the team i'm going to take to win this game i'm going to go with the buffalo bills to win i think buffalo wins this game 30 to 21 is my final score prediction in this game i think indianapolis defense is really good but i just think buffalo's offense is going to be able to still be pretty good we look at how good stefan Diggs and josh allen have been so far this year i just think that indianapolis isn't going to be able to put up enough points to keep up with buffalo's offense not trying to disrespect indianapolis offense or anything like that but if they can't get the run game going with the injuries that they have on their off the line i don't really think they're going to be able to score 30 to keep up buffalo's offense so give me the buffalo bills 
Bills with the victory, and I'm going to take them to cover as well. The next matchup that we have, we have the rematch of two NFC West foes, the LA Rams at 10-6 going on the road to take on the 12-4 Seattle Seahawks. Now, these two teams have already matched up twice this year. This is going to be the third matchup this season and the wild card of the playoffs. This game is going to be taking place Saturday with the 4.40 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff. Seattle is a four and a half point favorite. Now, if you're in the playoffs as a fan of both these two teams, the last team that you want to see is a team that you've already played twice this season because they know you better than pretty much any other opponent in the NFL. Now, for the Rams, they defeated the Arizona Cardinals last week, 18-7. Meanwhile, the Seattle Seahawks were able to clinch the division and win with the win over the 49ers, 26-23. My biggest concern is going to be how is the L.A. Rams backup, John Wolford, going to play in this game? Because he's expected to get the start once again because Jared Goff, according to the couple of reports I've read so far before I started making this video, he is a long shot to play in this game, nursing that thumb injury that he suffered a couple of weeks back. So it looks like Wolford's going to get another start once again for the second week in a row for the LA Rams. Last week against Arizona, I don't think he played bad. I think he played pretty good. He did what you expected out of a backup. Now, he started out pretty slow a little bit earlier in the game, but he started to pick things up. And what surprised me the most about John Wofford was his mobility. As a matter of fact, he led the LA Rams last year, well, last week, excuse me, and rushing yards with six carries for 56 yards, 9.3 yards per carry. Meanwhile, the LA Rams halfbacks, guys like Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown, combined for a total of 54 yards. They really struggled to find success running the ball on the ground with their halfbacks. So for John Walford, I think that his Mobility is going to be a big part of the Rams offense. Maybe we are going to start seeing a little bit more design quarterback runs. Maybe we see some zone reads thrown in there because with Sean McVay being regarded as one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, he's able to get the best out of the current players that he has to work with. So the Rams offense, of course, is not going to be as good as it would be with Jared Goff at the helm, even though Jared Goff has been consistently inconsistent this year. But with John Warford, you do have to kind of change your game plan. And you don't want to have to put too much on his plate because last week he almost threw the ball 40 times. He was 22 or 38 passing. I think that you want to be way, way more balanced this week against Seattle than what you were last week against Arizona because Seattle's defense has came on really strong. They have had one of the biggest midseason turnarounds that I can recall for a defense in a very long time. Remember, at the start of the year, Seattle had one of the worst defenses, not only in the NFL, but in NFL history. They got off to a really bad start, but this defense has really hit a corner after week 10, week 11 of the year, especially with the addition of of Carlos Dunlap. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what John Warford is going to do in his second start for the LA Rams offensively. Now for Sean McVay, you got to find a way to get this run game going because listen, at the end of the day, if John Warford has to throw the ball 40 times to try to get your team to victory, I don't think there's a chance of winning this game if you're the Los Angeles Rams. So you have to be balanced offensively. 
my next question for the Rams is going to be, can this offense manage to score 20 points? Because we already know that the Rams have one of the best defenses in the NFL this year. They have a great defensive line led by Aaron Donald. Jalen Ramsey has played really good as well. That secondary has been really good. The whole entire team has been really good. So your defense is going to be good enough to keep you in the game. And when you look at when these two teams have faced off, Seattle's offense hasn't really looked all that great against the LA Rams this year. The first matchup, Russell Wilson had a big turnover game when he turned the ball over a handful of times, which the LA Rams were able to capitalize and get the victory. The second go around, the LA Rams lost. Seattle won 20 to 9, but Seattle's offense still didn't have that explosiveness that we've been seeing out of them all this year. So the LA Rams defense, without a doubt, they're going to come to play. They're going to keep the Los Angeles Rams in this game. It's just going to come down to is this offense going to be able to score enough points to win this game i think that 20 points is the magic number for both of these two teams whichever team is able to hit 20 points first i think it's going to be the team that ends up winning this game now for the rams they defend the seattle seahawks offense better than any other team in the nfl because the key to defending seattle's offense is to limit the big plays in the passing game seattle isn't all that great on third down they're 20th in the nfl on third down conversion percentage they convert on third down 40.21 percent of the time but what makes seattle's offense so good and what makes them tick is the big playability that they have with guys like tyler lockett and dk metcalf down the field so for the la rams as long as you limit the big Big plays in the passing game. You don't allow Seattle to shred you downfield with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. You're going to be in pretty good shape. That shouldn't happen anyway because Seattle's off the line isn't all that great. Even though it has been more improved than what it has been in years prior. When you look at how good the Rams front seven has been this year. They're going to have Russell Wilson running for his life. As a matter of fact, he was running for his life in the previous two matches that they played in. So for the Rams, I have confidence in their defense to be able to hold down Seattle's offense. This defense probably is going to have to do a little bit more than that. Also, they're probably going to have to force a turnover to to help this offense out because with a backup at quarterback, you're going to have limitations there. Your offense isn't going to be as good as what it would be with Jared Goff. When Jared Goff is playing at his best and his defense is playing great, they don't really lose a lot of games. So with the limitations at quarterback, this defense is going to have to step up and make even more plays than what they've been doing all this year. And this defense has been playing lights out. They're number one in the NFL in points per game allowed, allowing 18.5 points per game. They're allowing 281.9 yards per game, which is also the least amount of yards in the NFL given up. They have the third best third down defense in the NFL. And they're second in the NFL with sacks per game with three sacks averaged per matchup so for the Rams if they're able to force a turnover to help this offense out get this offense in good field position I think that's how it's going to help them out as well when it comes to getting a victory the defense is going to have to step up way more than what they have been doing this past season and like I said I'm not saying that to take anything away from the Rams defense with the current situation that they have at quarterback they're going to need all the help that they can get offensively now Seattle's offense could gas the Rams' defense if Seattle's offense is able to give John Warford and company some problems because John Warford still is a backup. So 
if you send a lot of awkward blitzes that he may not be able to diagnose and doesn't and isn't able to see, and you see how Jamar Adams has performed this year for Seattle, he's been, in my opinion, the best safety in the NFL. Seattle uses him majority of the time, blitzing him off the edge. As a matter of fact, I think that he has the most sacks for safety in NFL history. Don't know if that's true or not, but I think that is. Don't quote me on that but with Seattle they're going to put heavy emphasis on trying to stop the run game so for the Rams your offense is going to have to find some ways to get some sparks on offense because without Jared Goff there your offense is kind of going to struggle with the limitations at quarterback so you're going to have to find different ways to move the ball down the field rather that screen plays some trick plays maybe you try to throw a flea flick in there to catch the defense off guard but if the Rams struggle on offense and they're not able to sustain drive that's not going to help out their defense because your defense can only do so much to the point that when they're coming back on the field after the offense goes three and out after 30 seconds and they're right back on the field they're going to end up getting fatigued they're going to end up getting tired and they're going to end up getting gas so if the Rams offense isn't able to sustain drives and isn't able to move the ball down the field on Seattle's defense that's going to help out Seattle's offense because then they're going to be able to take advantage of a tired out and worn down defense and they're going to be able to put some points up on the board. Also in Seattle's last matchup, they had pretty good they had a pretty good amount of success running the ball with Chris Carson. He was their leading rusher the last time these two teams matched up. He had 16 carries for 69 rushing yards, which averaged in 4.3 yards per attempt. So if they can get Carlos Hyde going and get that run game going, and they can have a balanced attack offensively, that's going to help out that offense as well because it's going to kind of neutralize those pass rushers. They're not just going to be able to pin their ears back and just play to stop the pass. So the team I'm going to take to win this game, I'm going to take Seattle. The reason why I'm taking Seattle is because although the Rams have a really good defense and Sean McVay is a really good play caller, I just think that the Rams offense is going to stall out in this game. I don't think they're going to be able to have success scoring on Seattle's defense. I think that this offense is probably going to have a couple of turnovers with John Warford at quarterback. And I just don't have a lot of confidence in John Warford, man. Like, I know he had a pretty solid showing in that Arizona game, but at the end of the day, this is playoff football. I think Seattle should be able to go ahead and pull off the victory here. They are a four and a half point favorite. I don't think they're going to cover. I think this game should be fairly close. I'm going to take Seattle to win 20 to 17 is my final score prediction in this game. The next game we have, we have the Tembe Buccaneers 11 and five going on the road to take on the NFC East division champions. The Washington football team. This is the game that I am most excited to watch out of all of the playoff matchups being played this wild card mat this wild card weekend. The Buccaneers beat the Atlanta Falcons last week 44 to 27. Washington defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 20 to 14, which was a really controversial game. When you look at what Doug Peterson opted to do, he opted to take out Jalen Hurts and put in a third string quarterback. And a lot of people felt like Philadelphia and Doug Peterson were trying to throw the game on purpose so they could try to get a high draft pick. So for Washington, they're now in the playoffs. And don't sleep on Washington. Okay, I think that there are a lot of people out there who aren't giving Washington enough credit. Like a lot of people are just saying, well, JT, Washington isn't a great football team. Like they won the NFC East, which has to be one of the worst divisions in the NFL that we've seen in a very long time, which is true. But Washington matches up really well 
with the Tempe Buccaneers, which is why I'm so excited to see this matchup because Washington is able to get pressure on the quarterback. And what is the blueprint to beating Tom Brady? Getting in his face, forcing him to get the ball out faster, getting him down on the ground, making him uncomfortable in the pocket. That has always been the blueprint to stop in Tom Brady. He's not that great under pressure. With him getting older and older, he's going to continue to get paranoid under pressure. You saw what happened the last time Tom Brady faced a good pass rush. Go back and look at that Rams game. Tom Brady was under the rest, even though I think that he only got sacked one time. The Rams were still getting in Tom Brady's face. He also had a couple of interceptions thrown in that game as well. For Tampa Bay, if they cannot run the football, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. Because... For Tampa Bay, even though they may be the better team in this game because of how good they are defensively and how good they are offensively, offensively they have the tendency to get overly reliant on Tom Brady and just abandon the run game altogether. So if Tampa Bay abandons the run game and they have to rely on Tom Brady to throw the ball 40, 50 times to win the game, I don't really think... This is going to be a game that favors Tampa Bay if the game doesn't go in a direction with them being able to be balanced. Because Washington, with these pass rushers, man, you look at Tampa Bay's off the line, I know Tampa Bay is top five in the NFL and giving up the least amount of sacks, but I think that's only because, first of all, you haven't really played a defense with the elite defensive line for the whole entire month of December. Second of all, you get the ball out really fast as well. So this is probably the best defensive line that you played since what the I don't remember I think Kansas City probably so when you look at Washington's defensive line you look at Chase Young you look at Montez Sweat you look at Jonathan Allen you look at the guys that they have in that defensive line they can all get pressure on the quarterback and when you look at Tim Bates off the line don't just go back to that Rams game remember what happened in that Thursday night loss to the Chicago Bears where Khalil Mack was terrorizing the off the line of Temple Bay that's what I have to go back and remember. So for all of you guys out there who are thinking that this game is going to be one-sided, that this game is going to be a blowout, I don't really know. I think that this game could go Washington's favor if Temple Bay isn't able to have a balanced attack on offense with Ronald Jones. Now for Temple Bay, the good thing is the chances of that happening are pretty low because Washington has allowed 137 rush yards over their last three games on average. So for Washington, even though your defensive line is really good against the pass, your defense total hasn't really been that good stopping the run over the last three spans of games. Washington's offense, another thing, can they even muster 20 points? Because when you watch Washington play with Alex Smith at quarterback, this offense struggles to score 20 points. Now, Yes, we know that Alex Smith, without a question, is an upgrade from Dwayne Haskins and things like that. But at the end of the day, this offense still struggles to score 20. And for Washington to win this game, I don't care how great their defense performs, you're at least going to have to be able to find a way to muster 20 points. Now, you're all fully healthy. You got Antonio Gibson. You got Tim McLaurin. You got all your playmakers now. So there really should be no excuse why you should struggle offensively. Here's the big question. Is Washington going to be able to throw the football downfield? Because Washington is 31st in the NFL in yards per play. They average 4.8 yards per play. Meanwhile, Temple Bay 
It is only allowing 5.1 yards per play on the defense side of the football, which is six in the NFL in yards per play allowed. So you look at a defense that doesn't allow big plays, and you look at Washington, a pretty conservative offense, I want to see if Alex Smith in Washington and the offensive coordinator for Washington is going to put a little bit more emphasis on trying to get the run game going and then try to establish the play-action passing game and try to take some shots downfield because you got to keep Temple Bay's defense honest. If I'm Temple Bay... I'm going to force Alex Smith to beat me throwing the football downfield. I'm not going to allow Alex Smith to beat Alex Smith and just throw checkdowns all game because with Washington, you look at Antonio Gibson, you look at guys like J.D. McKissick, if you give these guys a short checkdown, they're going to take it. They're going to turn like a two-yard pass into like a five, six-yard pickup. So if you're a Tampa Bay, you have to take away the short underneath routes and force Washington and Alex Smith to push the football downfield. I'd rather Washington beat me throwing the football down the field vertically than allow Washington to just be methodical and Alex Smith just to throw a check down here, throw a check down there, just to get everything he wants underneath. And for Washington, I think that you're going to have no choice but to take shots deep because these linebackers for Tampa Bay and Levante David and Devin White, they are incredibly fast and they are really good. So they're going to be able to close in on those quick short passes really fast. So for Washington, getting the ball downfield to Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas, your tight end is going to be really big if Washington wants to have a chance of pulling off the upset. Now Washington scoring 20 points in this game, I think that that is a must. I don't think, I would be really surprised if Washington was able to win this game scoring less than 20 points. Now Ron Rivera, if you ask Ron Rivera, hey Ron, what is the game plan? What do you want how do you want this game to go? Well, Ron Vera is going to tell you, I want this game to go into the fourth quarter, and I want to rely on my defense to win it for me. If you're Washington, you want to go into the fourth quarter with a, at least a three-point lead in a situation that you have to rely on your defense to win the game for you because I don't think any Washington fan wants to have their offense on the field with the opportunity to win the game. You rather have your defense on the field with the opportunity to win the game for you rather than your offense. So for Ron Rivera, I think that he doesn't mind this game being close. I think that Ron Rivera does know that his offense is fairly limited in terms of what they're able to do and how many points they're going to be able to put on the field. And he knows that points are going to be a premium for Washington in this game, but it's also going to be a premium for Tampa Bay as well because Tampa Bay's offense, I'm not expecting them just to come on here and just light Washington's defense on fire with how good Washington's defense has played all year and how good Washington's defensive line is. So for Washington, your game plan is get this game into a full quarter, allow this game to be close in the fourth quarter with the last five minutes left and you want your defense on the field for opportunity to win the game for you. I think that's how Ron Rivera wants to go because Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded guy. So it only makes sense that he would want his defense on the field to win the game for you. Now, the Buccaneers have the best run defense in the NFL. They are allowing 80 yards per game on the ground, which is number one in the NFL. They're also number one in the NFL and yards given up per rush a line 3.6. So for Washington, you're going to have to be able to win on 
early downs. You're going to have to be able to consistently win on first and second down. Now, the run game may not be all that effective for you. So you're going to have to find ways to pick up four to five yards consistently on first down and second down so you can get into third down and manageable situations because Washington's third down offense isn't that great. So for Washington, you're going to have to be able to make sure that you're able to pick up four or five yards consistently on first down, putting yourself in second and four, second and second and three situations, making it easier for your offense to convert on third down against a really good and outstanding Tim Bay Buccaneers defense. So the team I'm going to take to win this game, I'm going to take the Tim Bay Buccaneers to win this game. I think they win this game 23-14 to 14 is my final score prediction in this game. I think Washington's defense is going to be able to hang around and keep Washington in this game. Same thing that I said about the LA Rams and their prediction against the Seattle Seahawks. But at the end of the day, I just don't think Alex Smith and company are going to be able to score enough points needed to beat the Tempe Buccaneers, which is the same thing that I said about the LA Rams, because their offense may struggle with the backup quarterback that they have in John Walford. And I see the similar thing happening with Washington. Washington has struggled to score 20 points all year. So I don't think they're going to be able to put up a lot of points on a really good and outstanding Tempe Buccaneers defense. So I like the Washington football team a lot. I like the story of Alex Smith. Coming back from not only just a life-threatening leg injury, but also potentially a career-ending leg injury. Not a lot of people expected Alex Smith to be the starting quarterback in the NFL ever again. And nobody expected to see Ron Rivera after all that he had to overcome with cancer and everything. Nobody even expected Washington to even make it to the playoffs before the season began. So for Washington, this is a big accomplishment. I'm a big fan of what Ron Rivera is doing with the Washington football team. I'm a big fan of Alex Smith, but I just don't trust Washington's offense. Unless their defense are able to put some points on the board for them, I don't really see Washington winning this game. I'm going to take the Buccaneers to win. Before I get into my next matchup, the Browns taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers, which are the Sunday games. I got to take me a sip of water. All right. So if you guys haven't already, make sure that you guys like the video and subscribe to the channel below NFL videos and college football videos daily. I also make sure that you follow me on my social media platforms. My Instagram and Twitter is both JT Sports underscore. Link to that is down in the description down below. So we have the 11 and 5 Cleveland Browns traveling on the road to Hinesville to take on the 12 and 4 AFC North champions, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, this is the Cleveland Browns first playoff game since 2002. So it has been 18 years. Since we last saw the Cleveland Browns participate in the playoff game. And what is ironic is the last time the Cleveland Browns did play in the playoff game prior to this season. Back in 2002, they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers 36-33 back in 2002. Now for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you lost to the Browns last week 24-22 because you pretty much rested... The majority of your starters, you rested Big Ben, TJ Rod, Terrell Edmonds. You gave the majority of your starters a chance to get healthy and get refreshed heading into this wild card game. Meanwhile, Cleveland, they won against Pittsburgh, which is their pretty much one of their biggest wins in franchise history, in my opinion, because you may be like JT. 
How is Cleveland beating Pittsburgh's backups, one of their biggest wins in franchise history? Well, this is the win that clinched their playoff spot for the first time in 18 years. Now, for Pittsburgh, it seems like offensive coordinator Randy Fickner has just found out that you can call pass plays for more than just five yards, that there's more than football than just throwing five-yard digs and five-yard drag routes and five-yard slant routes and not routes all game. You can actually throw the football downfield. And it's sad that I believe that if Indianapolis was never blowing out the Pittsburgh Steelers heading into halftime, I think the Steelers' offense would not have changed. I think Randy Fickton would still keep trying with the old conservative throw the football behind the line of scrimmage with bubble screens or just throw the ball to a wide receiver on a slant power, um, on a slant route for three yards and things like that. So that Indianapolis game after the second half really forced Pittsburgh to start taking more shots down the field, which is good because you look at Pittsburgh, Chase Claypool is now starting to get re-involved back in the offense he has been pretty relevant for over the last month and a half prior to that Indianapolis Colts game don't know where he's been Deontay Johnson has finally remembered how to catch a football Judas Smith-Schuster is making plays as well so the Steelers even though they did have their struggles in the month of December at one point losing three games in a row Lost to Washington on Thanksgiving. You got embarrassed by Cincinnati on Monday Night Football. So you also lost the Buffalo Bills as well. So for Pittsburgh, now it starts to look like that this team is now starting to turn things around. And they're doing that one of the most important times of the year, the NFL playoffs. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Browns, my question is going to be, can the Pittsburgh Steelers force Baker Mayfield to step up, make plays, and win the game for Cleveland? Because, let's face it, the Cleveland Browns are a run-first football team. That's what Kevin Stefanski brought over from Minnesota last year, that power run system, running the football down teams' throats. Well, what's going to happen if Pittsburgh is able to find a way to stop the run? Because if I'm Pittsburgh and I'm Mike Tomlin, my game plan on the defense side of football, I'm going all in to stop Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. If the Browns are going to beat me, it's going to be because Baker Mayfield has a career day in his first ever postseason matchup. So I'm going to go all in on stop the run. I'm going to play Terrell Edmonds close near the line of scrimmage. I'm going to have him in the box to help out with numbers to try to stop that Cleveland Browns rushing attack with Nick Chubb, who has been going on an absolute tear over the last month of December, heading into January. Kind of reminds me on the run that Derrick Henry went on last year in 2019. So if I'm Pittsburgh, I'm going all in on trying to stop the run game. I am not going to allow Cleveland to run the ball for 200, 175 rushing yards down my throat. And for Pittsburgh, there are two ways that they can stop the run. The first way they can stop the run is by getting out to a big lead early because then if Cleveland is down 21-0 at the end of the first quarter, they're going to have no choice but to throw the football to get back into the game because you can't really run the football because time is not going to be on your side. So if Pittsburgh gets out to a big lead early, that can force Cleveland to have to abandon the run game. Another way is by just simply when they go up front, you have the guys to do it. You got Cam Hayward. You got Stephon it. You got TJ Watt. You got to be able to stop the run. Now, at one point, Pittsburgh had the best run defense in the NFL. But after their first meeting with the Baltimore Ravens, 
This run defense hasn't really been all that great. Now you're going against the Cleveland Browns. You're going to have to be able to stop this run game because if you stop the run game, then you have a 70% chance of winning the game because I don't trust Baker Mayfield to simply be able to carry the Cleveland Browns to a victory because Baker Mayfield, even though he has been pretty good this year, he has been pretty solid. If you do have to ask Baker Mayfield to win the game for you throwing the ball 40, 45 times, 35 times, I don't really think that's the situation that Kevin Stefanski wants to be in. Another thing is going to be, will the Steelers' inability to run the football cost them this game? Now, the Steelers haven't had a pulse when it comes to being able to run the football since God knows when. I think the last time the Steelers had a 100-yard rusher was, what, like, I can't even remember. Somebody let me know down in the comment section down below. But Pittsburgh's lack of a run game, is that going to be their Achilles heel against the Cleveland Browns? Now, for Cleveland, a good thing is that you don't have to really worry about the run game. So these pass rushers, well, Worley, Miles Garrett, can just tee off and just focus on, you know, going all in, trying to get pressure on Big Ben. Another thing is going to be who will be able to score inside the red zone this is a matchup of two of the best red zone offenses in the red zone defense the Cleveland Browns have one of the best red zone offenses in the NFL the third in the NFL and red zone scoring percentage they score touchdowns in the red zone 73% of the time meanwhile the Pittsburgh Steelers have one of the best red zone defenses in the NFL they only allow opposing teams to score touchdowns inside the red zone 55% of the time. Now, when you look at the Steelers' red zone offense, their red zone offense is 11th in the NFL. They score touchdowns in the red zone 63% of the time, which they could be a lot better, but for the fact that they're not really all that great running the football, it's a big reason why they're not better than what they are right now in terms of being able to convert and score touchdowns inside the red zone. The Cleveland Browns' red zone defense is pretty solid. They're allowed teams to score touchdowns in the red zone 6% of the time, which is 14th in the NFL. So I think that whoever is able to have more success in the red zone is going to be a big deciding factor in who's going to win this game. But more importantly, if Cleveland is able to run the football and they're able to control time possession, they're able to keep Pittsburgh's offense off the field, and they can tire out that Pittsburgh Steelers defense, then the Cleveland Browns do have a pretty good shot at winning this game. I'm really interested to see what the Browns do. I want to see what Baker Mayfield is going to do in his first ever playoff game in the playoff atmosphere because playoff football is a lot different from regular season football. We've seen guys like Lamar Jackson struggle. He's going to in his first couple of playoff games. So I want to see what Baker Mayfield is going to do in his first ever playoff game. Now, Cleveland is starting to get back fully healthy. Denzel Ward, I think he should be able to play in this game. They lost Olivier Vernon to a season-ending injury, so their second-best pass rusher on the team he's out so now it's just Miles Garrett and everybody else so for Cleveland if you're able to you know make sure that you're not allowing big plays in the passing game for Pittsburgh I think what Pittsburgh does very well when they are taking shots down the field and they're not being captain conservative with their play calling they're really good and one thing that I noticed about Pittsburgh is that they draw a lot of pass interference penalties when they throw the ball downfield. So with Cleveland, if you're able to limit the big passing plays and you don't give up a lot of pass interference calls, then you're going to have a pretty good shot of slowing down the Steelers' offense because the Steelers can't run the football. So you really are only just game planning to stop the pass. 
pretty much the Steelers' way of running the football is by throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage and letting the wide receivers do the work with the ball in their hands. So for Cleveland, the game plan is pretty simple. Get pressure on Big Ben and stop the pass because the Pittsburgh Steelers' run game hasn't been effective all year, and I doubt that it's going to be effective come playoff time. Like, they're just going to magically be able to flip the script, and all of a sudden, they're going to be able to start running the football with some success. And for Pittsburgh, if you're a Steelers fan, you want this team to be able to find some way to run the football because in the playoffs, it is really important that you have a run game. The teams that go the furthest in the playoffs and make big playoff runs are the teams that are able to effectively run the football. And I don't think the Steelers are going to be able to have much success and have a big postseason run and be able to win their seventh Super Bowl if they can't find a way to run the football with some success. So I don't know who's going to be the guy at halfback for Pittsburgh. They've been rotating starters in all year. One game it was Benny Snell. One game it was James Conner. One game was Anthony McFarlane who was getting the stop. So they're not really having a lot of success in determining who is that lead back on the roster. They don't really have a number one back, so it's going to be decided when it comes to Steelers being able to have a run game. But I'm not really expecting the Steelers to have a run game in this game. But I still think that the Steelers are going to be able to pull off the victory in this game. I think that their defense should be a big reason why they win this game. This defense should be fully healthy. To the point that, you know, they're fully rested. Yeah, they have some big injuries and guys who are still out for the season like Devin Bush. That's still a pretty big blow as well. But the fact that this defense and this whole entire team as a whole was able to bench their starters and get them some key rest was much needed. Because people forget that Steelers haven't had a bye week since what? Week four, because remember, the matchup against Tennessee got switched, so Pittsburgh ended up having that week four week, which they were supposed to use to play Tennessee. That ended up being their bye week, and they've had to play several straight weeks without a true bye week. So for Pittsburgh, having the opportunity to rest their starters last week, I think it's going to be a major deciding factor in their performance in this game. I think this defense is going to have a really good game against Cleveland, and I think that still is going to be able to win this game 24 to 17 is my final score prediction in this game. I'm taking the Pittsburgh Steelers with the victory. Getting down to our last two games that I have to talk about. We have the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Tennessee Titans. Now, everybody's going to be talking about this game. Same for the fact that this is a rematch of last year's divisional matchup. Remember... The Baltimore Ravens last year were everybody's pick to win the Super Bowl, okay? Everybody knew that Lamar Jackson's going to win league MVP. Everybody felt like last year was the Baltimore Ravens' year to win the Super Bowl. We got robbed of seeing Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson in the AFC Championship game. We know Derrick Henry and Tennessee rolled into town, and they steamrolled their way against the Baltimore Ravens to a big upset which continued their Cinderella run in the 2019 playoffs. But everybody's talking about their last matchup, last time these two teams made the playoffs. People forget, I don't know why nobody talks about this, but these two teams did play this regular season. Don't know if a lot of you guys know this. People are too busy hyping up the rematch of the division around last year, but nobody's talking about the fact that these two teams already played against each other Week 11, which Tennessee was able to pull off the victory 30-24 to in overtime. My biggest concern is going to be, are the Boston Ravens going to be able to stop this behemoth of a man named Derrick Henry? 
Baltimore seems like they're just allergic to tackling Derrick Henry because every time Derrick Henry has faced the Baltimore Ravens, he's had a big game. The last time these two teams matched up, Derrick Henry had 133 rushing yards on 28 carries, averaging 4.8 yards per attempt in a big game when the touchdown to win the game for Tennessee. So if you're a Baltimore I don't know what your game plan is going to be in terms of trying to stop this monster truck, but you're going to have to find a way to do so. Because obviously, if you can't stop Derrick Henry, you're not going to win the game. Now, the Tennessee Titans, people keep talking about this is a rematch of last year's division around and everything like that. But let's face it, the Tennessee Titans are not the same team that they were last year that they are this year in terms of how good they are defensively last year they had a really good defense this year their defense has been all that great they're not great getting off the field on third down and they don't get consistent pressure on the quarterback which is a big reason why they can't get off the field on third down and if you can't get off the field on third down you make it incredible difficult to win games in the playoffs because at the end of the day if you don't have a pass rush and you can't get off the field on third down how are you going to get the opposing team's offense off the field so Tennessee's defense isn't the same defense that we saw last year which everybody talks about that big Cinderella run Tennessee went with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill company but nobody talked about how really good Tennessee's defense was in the playoffs last year you look what they did to Tom Brady in the wild card look what they did to Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens in the division round able to hold Lamar Jackson kind of somewhat in check even though he still had a pretty solid game even though people try to make it seem like it was a horrendous performance and things like that so Tennessee's defense isn't great situationally and they're not great getting pressure on the quarterback for Lamar Jackson you're facing a Tennessee Titans defense that isn't that great they allow 38 points to the Houston Texans don't really have a lot of confidence in Tennessee's defense so if you're Lamar Jackson this is the perfect game perfect opportunity for you to erase your playoff struggles because everybody's going to talk about how Lamar Jackson is only two in the playoffs. He lost the LA Chargers his rookie season back in 2018 in the wild card round. He also lost to the Tennessee Titans last year in the divisional round after the Boston Ravens had a first round bye. So Lamar Jackson, I think that he's pretty eager to silence the doubters in terms of him being a quote quote choke artist in the playoffs and he's going to have the opportunity to have a big game against a Tennessee defense that is not that great getting after the quarterback now for the Ravens like I mentioned earlier they're going to have to be able to stop the run game if they want to have an opportunity to win this game and Baltimore and Tennessee are kind of alike in terms of their philosophy on offense even though they have different ways of running the football both of these two teams wants to run the football down your throat, which means when you have two teams that like to run the football, whoever wins the time possession battle will most likely win the game. J.K. Dobbins has scored a touchdown in his last six games that he's played in. So J.K. Dobbins, like Derrick Henry, has started to heat up over the month of December. So when you have two teams that have similar playing styles, it's all going to come down to which team is execute. And the biggest moments. Which team is going to execute? Which team is going to be able to have the big plays when it matters the most? Because last year, well, and the last matchup that these two teams played week 11, Tennessee rose to the occasion and Baltimore couldn't find a way to get the victory. It seemed like Baltimore 
was just so focused on hanging on to winning the victory than they were trying to secure the victory. And they kind of played a little bit conservative, in my opinion. Last year in the playoffs, they underestimated Tennessee and got bounced out. So I'm pretty sure that the Baltimore Ravens are going to come out in this game more motivated and more determined than what they ever have been under Coach Harbaugh to win this game against Tennessee. And when you look at Tennessee, man, are you going to be able to stop Lamar Jackson and company? Because last year, you had the horses to do so. Now, not all that much. I don't know what is the big reason for the Tennessee Titans dropping defensive production, but I'm a little bit disappointed because Mike Vrabel is supposed to be a defensive-minded coach. Therefore, the defense should be the least of your problems. But it kind of is because you can't get off the field on third down. And for Baltimore, they're going to put you in a lot of third down situations, a lot of third and short situations. And if you can't get off the field on third down, you're going to allow the Baltimore Ravens to continue to stay on the field. And not only stay on the field and keep the drive alive, but they're also going to control the clock as well. When you have two teams that like to run the football, the clock is everything because if Tennessee ends up being down by multiple possessions and they have to abandon the run game, that's going to cause a lot of troubles because Tennessee is not a team that is built to throw the football to win the game. This is a team that likes to run the football. It's apps to play action pass game to get things going in the passing game. So for Tennessee, the run game is really important. Now for Baltimore, if they don't get their run game going, I'll be really surprised because people are like, well, JT, what if Tennessee is able to stop the run? game of Baltimore chances of that happening are slim to none because even if you do stop J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram and just Gus Edwards Lamar Jackson is still going to get his like people like to say Lamar Jackson got shut down last year or Lamar Jackson got shut down against Kansas City he still had a big impact in the run game for Baltimore so and my version of Lamar Jackson being shut down is way different from what a lot of you guys definition of Lamar Jackson getting shut down is my definition of Lamar Jackson getting shutting down or getting shut down excuse me is him having 20 or less rushing yards on the ground if you get hold Lamar Jackson to 20 rushing yards and he just has a god-awful game then I would say yeah you shut down Lamar Jackson but when you look at these two teams I like to run the football like to control the clock it's going to come down to which team is going to be able to stop the run game because if both of these two teams are able to have success running the football, then it's going to come down to who can win the time possession battle. And lastly, whoever wins the turnover margin. If Tennessee turns the football over two times or Baltimore turns the football over two times, whoever's going to be on the receiving end of the turnover battle is most likely going to win this game because when you have two teams that have smash mouth mentalities like to run the football and like to control the time possession battle then it's going to come down to turnovers turnovers are really important in games like this because every possession matters when you have offenses that put emphasis on running the, on running the football so the team that's going to take to win this game I'm taking the Baltimore Ravens. I think that Lamar Jackson gets his first playoff win in his NFL career. And I think the Ravens are going to beat the Tennessee Titans 27-21. to It's my final score prediction in this game. I don't trust Tennessee's defense. This is a Tennessee team that is way different from what they were defensively last season that they are this year. They can't really get pressure on the quarterback, and they're not good getting off the field on third down. And when you're not good getting off the field on third down, Lamar Jackson, this Baltimore Ravens team, they're going to be able to control time possession, keep your offense off the field, and I think the Ravens are going to win this game. 
I know the Tennessee Titans won the first matchup in overtime, but I think this game is going to be fairly different. I think the Ravens are going to learn from their mistakes, and I'm going to take the Ravens to get the victory. The last game that we have to talk about, the Chicago Bears taking on the 12-4 New Orleans Saints. Now, the Saints are a 9-point favorite to win this game. A lot of people think that this game is going to be a blowout. Now, for the Bears... They backdoored their way into playoffs with the Arizona Cardinals being defeated by the LA Rams. So that is the only reason why the Bears are in the playoffs. Because the Bears had two ways to make it into the playoffs and clinch the last spot, which was the 7th seed. They could either beat the Green Bay Packers or they needed Arizona to lose. And of course they got beat by the Green Bay Packers 35-16. But Arizona lost, which is why the Chicago Bears are in the playoffs. Meanwhile, the New Orleans Saints right now, they're right now they're rolling. They look like the second best team in the NFC behind the Green Bay Packers who are currently on the bye after they clinched no more overall seed. So they're not going to be playing until next week in the divisional round. But the Saints had a pretty dominating victory against the Carolina Panthers. They looked really good. So I'm looking at Chicago. And in my opinion, if the Chicago Bears do not make it to the NFC Championship game, I think making it to the playoffs this year is a waste. And a lot of you Bears fans may be like, how is making it to the playoffs a waste? Well, Matt Nagy isn't a great coach. And Mr. Trubisky is not a great quarterback. And I'm not going to go back and forth with none of you Chicago Bears fans about Mr. Trubisky. Rather, he's a good quarterback or not. Because it's pretty obvious that he is an average quarterback. I'm tired of the excuses for Mr. Trubisky. I'm not about to argue with you Chicago Bears fans. You know doggone well that Mr. Trubisky is only good for right now, but moving forward, he should not be the guy. If there is a significant better upgrade in the offseason, the free agency, or in the NFL draft, if you happen to have a great quarterback like Trey Lance or Zach Wilson following your last, wherever it's your turn to pick, you go ahead and you draft him. But I don't have a lot of confidence in Mitchell Trubisky. Well, you can say, with JT, look at his numbers. Okay, you played the Minnesota Vikings and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Neither one of those teams had anything to play for. The Jacksonville Jaguars were taking for Trevor Lawrence. On top of that, Mr. Trubisky didn't really play all that great against the Green Bay Packers last week. That was the game that was going to convince me and show me that Mr. Trubisky deserved to be brought back as quarterback for the Chicago Bears in 2021 when the 2021 NFL season kicks off. Well, he was 33 of 42 252 pass yards and one interception. Chicago Bears fans are just so quick to bring up the stats with Mr. Trubisky. It's easy to have great numbers when all you do is just throw checkdowns every single play. Alex Smith throws checkdowns because you know that's Alex Smith, but Mr. Trubisky doesn't even see wide receivers running open down the field. Do you know how many times Allen Robinson was open down the field and Mr. Trubisky simply didn't throw his way that he simply just took the checkdown? Three times I kind of last week in that Green Bay Packers loss that the Chicago Bears suffered that Allen Robinson was open down the field and Mr. Trubisky opted to take the short conservative pass versus trying to throw the ball down the field to Allen Robinson who is one of the best jump ball wide receivers in the NFL. We just don't really happen to see that all that often because they don't throw the football down the field all that often with Mitchell Trubisky. He is checked down Charlie 2.0. That's why his stats look so deflated. So with the Green Bay Packers, I, if I'm their defensive coordinator, I'm saying, hey, man, if we're going to get beat by Mitchell Trubisky, 
He's going to have to beat us by throwing the football down the field. Because the biggest play that the Chicago Bears offense had last week was that big throw. It was pretty much one of the only shots downfield that Mr. Trubisky took all game, which was a completion to Darnell Mooney, who ended up catching the ball. And it was an underthrown pass. He had to readjust for the ball. And Mitchell Trubisky throws the ball you know, in front of the wide receiver with some accuracy, it probably could be a touchdown. So you look at Mitchell Trubisky and the fact that he just likes to be conservative and takes the check down. If you're Green Bay, you got to force Mitchell Trubisky to hold on to the football, throw the football downfield, and then on top of that, you have to stop David Montgomery. The only way the Chicago Bears have a shot at winning this game is if, one, their defense plays the best game that they've ever played this season. On top of that, Derrick Montgomery has to have an incredible game when he just goes Derrick Henry. He has to go for like a Derrick Henry kind of stat line, 152 rushing yards for like three touchdowns or something like that. He has to have a Superman caliber performance like we saw Derrick Henry have in the playoffs last year if the Chicago Bears want to have a chance of winning this game. So if you're the New Orleans Saints, this is really all you have to do to beat the Chicago Bears. Stop the run. Force Mitchell Trubisky to throw the football downfield. And for the Chicago Bears, okay, you have to worry about Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas coming back. Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, according to reports, are both expected to play. So for the Chicago Bears defense, this isn't going to be easy for you. So you're going to have to help out that offense because, trust me, they're going to need it. You're going to have to force a turnover or two, get the ball back to your offense. Not only get the ball back to your offense, but get the ball back to your offense with good field position on the opposite side of the 50 or near the red zone because I don't really think that the Chicago Bears are going to have a lot of success sustaining drives against the New Orleans Saints defense. New Orleans Saints defense has also had a midseason turnaround. We talk about the midseason turnaround that Seattle's defense has had this year. Well, New Orleans defense has had a big turnaround as well as they have started to get healthy. So when you look at how well the Saints defense has played over the second span of the season – I'm looking at the Chicago Bears offense. Everybody's talking about how this offense at one point was the best offense in the NFL. Like, at one point, it was really people saying that, believe it or not. There was people out there saying, man, this Bears offense looks scary, man. This was like one of the best offenses in the NFL. I said, are you drunk? You're facing the Minnesota Vikings and the Jacksonville freaking Jaguars. Neither one of those two teams have had been able to stop anybody with a pulse on the offense on the defense side of football. So, of course, it's easy to look good when you're playing bad defensive teams. And I'm not. I know it may. I know I may make it seem like I'm hating on the Chicago Bears. But I'm just really being honest with myself. And I'm being honest with you guys. Because, listen, the Chicago Bears are not going to win this game. I'm taking the Saints to win this game right away. And I'm going to take them to cover. I think they win this game 31 to 13. I think this game is going to be pretty ugly. I think that Mr. Trubisky is going to have to have a Superman Cowboy performance for the Chicago Bears to win this game. And that's not going to happen. He struggled against Green Bay not once, but twice. When Mr. Trubisky has played against great teams, he hasn't been good. You played against the Packers twice. You got dominated twice. Mr. Trubisky didn't play good in both of those games. He didn't even throw a touchdown last week. He had several underthrown balls. He had several passes that he just completely ignored the wide receiver downfield just to opt and take the short check down route. So excuse me if it may seem like I'm hating, but I just think that I'm being honest. The New Orleans Saints are going to win this game. For the Chicago Bears, making it to the playoffs just seems like it's putting this franchise back 
five years because you still don't have your quarterback of the future because I promise you it's not Mr. Trubisky. We saw that last week and we're going to see it again. But hey, Mr. Trubisky has the opportunity to prove me and a lot of people wrong in terms of him being a franchise guy for the Chicago Bears moving forward going into next season. If he has a good performance against the New Orleans Saints and he's able to get the Chicago Bears to a victory and to the divisional round of the playoffs next week. But I doubt that will happen because Mr. Trubisky hasn't been good against good teams with good defenses all this year. So excuse me if I think that the New Orleans Saints are going to win this game and the Saints are going to win this game pretty handily. This defense may keep them in this game for a quarter or two, but at the end of the day, your defense can only do so much of your offense consistently goes three and out and can't sustain drives. So I am going to take the New Orleans Saints to get the victory 31 to 13. And I'm going to take them to cover as well, because listen, I think the Chicago Bears making it to the playoffs, man, was probably the worst thing that could happen to the Chicago Bears fan base. I know Chicago Bears and you guys are one of the best fan bases in the NFL and things like that. I know you guys love to see your team in the playoffs, but really think about it. Now that your team is in the playoffs, you're not going to have a chance to get one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So you're pretty much going to be stacked with Mitchell Trubisky for next year if you can't find any better options with your quarterback market right now. Looks pretty weak. You're pretty much going to be in a position that you can probably draft Mac Johnson, Kyle Trask, depending on how much you like those guys. But even then, those guys aren't really ideally looked at as franchise quarterbacks like a Trey Lance, a Zach Wilson, a Justin Fields, or a Trevor Lawrence. And on top of that, you bring back Ryan Pace and Mac Nagy potentially for a couple more years. So making it to the playoffs looks like more of a negative thing it is for a positive for the Chicago Bears. But hey, Anything can happen. Maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt it will happen. So this is it for this video. This is it for my 2020-2021 NFL wildcard picks and predictions. Let me know who you guys have winning these games down in the comment section down below. Make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel for more NFL videos.